0: My name's Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element, and I want to welcome you this morning uh, on a like rare day in the summer where we've been gifted with 50 degree weather. I hope you're enjoying it. It's, it's a great gift that probably won't last long, uh, and it'll be a while till we see it again, but uh, uh, man, just waking up this morning walking outside, it was perfect. It was like like the perfect way like. Just before we're really entering into the hot season, um, to be reminded of of how beautiful the weather can be here, um, you know, uh, Trevor got up here and just kind of talked about um, our e group and our study of the Psalms that we went through all of the Psalms together. Um, as a group, this spring, and uh, there were a lot of, I think, surprising lessons for all of us. Even, even those of us who have read the Psalms before, of just seeing the way in which um, God's people over the centuries have worshipped. Um, and we're actually going to land our final scripture that we're going to be in today will be in the Psalms, in Psalm one forty-five. So, if you brought your Bibles, um, it's the biggest um, block of text that we're going to focus on today. And if you want to open up your Bibles, Um, That would be a great place to open up to. Now, there's going to be a few other scriptures we're going to hit along the way today. And probably the best way to follow along would be by using the Bible app, because all the scriptures that we're going to use, both in the New and the Old Testament, uh, are already laid out for you there in the Bible app. If you open up the menu in the Bible app and click Live Events, and then you click Element Church, everything that we're going to cover will already be laid out for you um, that we're going to cover today. Uh, You know, The last two weeks, we've kind of gone back in time a little bit. Two weeks ago, we talked a little bit about World War II, and uh, specifically um, the D-Day invasion uh, on the beaches of Normandy. Last week, um, we talked about Plato a little bit, and so I thought just to keep the theme up, um, that maybe we'd kind of look back on another ancient story. Um, World War II isn't quite so ancient, but uh, the one for today is. Now, I don't know if... Many of you enjoy or are familiar with Greek mythology at all, Um, but there's one particular story uh, that I find interesting that's relevant for what we're talking about today, Um, and and it's the ancient Greek mythology about Narcissus. Now, like any Greek mythology, there's like a hundred different versions of the story, Um, but the gist of the story goes that Narcissus was a hunter, Um, But what he was known for was not so much his skill at hunting, but for his beauty. Um, That he was the most beautiful, good-looking guy around. And part of his problem is that he refused to let his heart settle on loving someone who he did not consider as beautiful as himself. And so uh, it led to a lot of frustration and heartache until one day... Narcissus walks up to a pool of water and he sees his own reflection and he falls so madly in love with the beauty that he sees that he cannot bring himself to leave. And because he won't leave, uh, he dies there by the pool of water. And so um, that's sort of the origin, that story and that myth about him uh, is, is the basis for our word. For narcissistic or narcissism um, with being so consumed and obsessed with yourself to really not only the detriment of others around you, but to your own, uh, which in this day and age, both the 21st century in our culture and the fact that we're entering into summer is a time where narcissism has, it loves to creep up um there's <clears throat> social media is full of it right the summertime brings all kinds of feelings and con- just being consumed with ourselves and with comparing ourselves to others maybe it's how you look in a bathing suit or how Good or not good, your tan is right now, or maybe it's comparing your summer to someone else's summer and their vacation versus your vacation and their life highlights on social media versus your life realities behind closed doors. It's a time and a season that I think all of us can at times struggle with. Now, there's a clinical version of narcissism, but there's also just a practical, functional version of being consumed with our own lives, even to the detriment of those around us and to ourselves. Um, Trevor mentioned the Psalms. Uh, There's an author who passed away last year named Eugene Peterson. What he's probably most famous for, what most people know him by, uh, is he was the individual who translated the message version of um, the Bible. I've heard him speak before, one of the most brilliant men I've ever heard speak. I, I heard an interview one time, and somebody, this was before he translated, he did the entire Bible by himself translating, uh, where somebody was asking him, hey, what is your preferred English translation? Like, what what is it that you read devotionally? And he said, you know, honestly, I can't remember the last time I read it in English, um, because he just read it in the ancient languages. Like, that's just what he did. Um, brilliant, man. And he wrote, I don't even know how many, dozens of books. And one of the books he wrote was a reflection on the Psalms um, titled Where Your Treasure Is. And he was in many ways reflecting on the dangers of American society, um, where we're kind of going, what we're becoming, and how the Psalms can serve as an antidote to what most of us struggle with. Um, At one point, talking about this whole narcissistic worldview Uh, that's so prevalent in our culture and our day and age. He says this, centering life in the insatiable demands of the ego is the sure path to doom. And so what happens when we focus every bit of our time and energy on ourselves? What happens when we're so consumed with how we look or how we appear to other people or um, how we're progressing in life according to our own desires? Uh, Well, the Bible has a lot to say about it, and some of it's good and some of it's bad, and there's a lot of examples of people who got it right, and to be honest, a lot of examples of people who got it wrong. I mean, in just some of the opening pages of the Bible, We see Adam and Eve in the garden and in Genesis chapter 3, part of the temptation for them in the garden, what led them to ultimately rebel against their creator was the idea that they could become like God. That was the big temptation for them in the garden of Eden. Like if we follow this path, the one thing God told us not to do, it will enable us to become like God. It was a focus on what they felt like they were missing out, what they deserved and what they wanted that ultimately led to their downfall. If you jump forward in history a little bit, uh, the very first king of Israel was named Saul. Saul. And most of his life is it's captured in a book called 1 Samuel. And Saul um, was what everybody would want to be. The Bible says that he was tall, He was handsome. He was a great warrior. He was a great leader. Saul was everything you would expect and want in a king. And he had been chosen by God. But in 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul shows up and he's waiting on the prophet Samuel to come and to offer a sacrifice. um, As a way to bring the community and the soldiers together to, to sort of set their hearts right to worship to offer thanks to God before they proceeded any further uh, in battle and with God's plans for them. And what, what Saul noticed is that the longer they waited for Samuel to show up, the more people started leaving and deserting him. And it, it drove him so crazy watching people desert him that he said, forget it. I'll do this my own way. I'll offer my own sacrifices. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, because of this obsession with seeing people desert him, he said, no, 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 no. I'll stop it now so no one will leave me, so no one will stop looking to me, so no one will stop following me. And because of his disobedience, it ended up costing him the throne. Last week in Church in the Park, uh, we referenced the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Um, we, we were talking about food last week and we talked about how uh, when the father saw his long lost son who had ran, run away and had, had spoiled his inheritance, came back thinking, I'll come back, I don't deserve to be a son, I've disgraced my father, I've disgraced my family, I've ruined and, and wasted my inheritance, I won't even come back as a son, I'll just come back and see if my father will let me be one of his servants. But the father welcomed him with open arms And said, No, 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 no. Put the best, put the family ring on his hand, put the best robe around his shoulders, and we're gonna kill the fattened calf and have a party to celebrate because my son who was lost has been found. My son who was dead is alive. Now that's where we stopped last week. But the rest of the story, as soon as all of this happens and the father says, We're gonna celebrate the salvation of my son, that he is home again that he is where he deserves and needs to be. Then we see the older brother enter the scene. And the older brother, instead of celebrating that his younger brother was home, that he was safe, that he was back where he needed to be and where he belonged, where the father had ultimately always wanted him to be, instead of celebrating, he folded his arms and he said, well, where's my party? Well, why don't I get a party? I'm the faithful son. I'm the good one. I'm the one who didn't run away, who didn't waste the inheritance, who didn't disgrace the family. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. Where's my party? Being so consumed with himself and what he thought he deserved, he couldn't even celebrate the restoration and the return of his brother. because he was so consumed with his self. So I have two questions for us today. One, how do we know if we struggle with narcissism, with a, with a tendency to, to be consumed with ourselves? And if we do, and the answer is we all do at times, what do we do about it? And so the first question, how do we know if we wrestle with narcissism? I'm going to follow up with another question and say on what are most of your cherished hopes centered upon? So when you think about what you want most in life, when you think about what you're spending most of your time and your energy and your efforts and your emotions and your thoughts pursuing in life, what or who is at the center of all of those? Now the danger is most of us will identify good things but if we dig deeper we'll find that at the heart of it most of the time it's ourselves. What we cherish most in life is a good marriage or a good family or a good job. There are goals or experiences that we're striving for, that if we dig deep, while all of these things can be good, we find out that in the end, they're really centered on ourselves. I want you to think a moment about how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Uh, In Matthew chapter 6, this will be on the screen. It's also available in the Bible app if you have it open. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught his disciples to pray like this. He says. your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's a de-centering of ourselves and a focus on God and who he is and what he wants to accomplish in our world. It's a confession of complete dependence, not on our own strong wills or hard work, but our complete dependence on God's grace to provide what we need and to do what we can't do for ourselves. But in contrast, I don't know if you've ever seen this on the internet, it's floated around at different times. It's something called the narcissistic prayer or the narcissist prayer. And it goes like this, that didn't happen. And if it did, it wasn't that bad. And if it was, it's not that big of a deal. And if it is, that's not my fault. And if it was, I didn't mean it. And if I did, well, you deserve it. And if we're honest, at times we struggle with this mindset of thinking, it, even if it is my fault, it's not that big of a deal. Or if it is, I didn't mean it. Or if I did, then you deserve it. And it's a temptation, just like those examples we looked at in Scripture, a temptation to look out for ourselves over the good of others. It's a temptation to be so consumed with ourselves that we disregard what's for the ultimate good of others, or sometimes even ourself, if we know about it. So the first question is, how do you know? And it's a hard examination about the things that you think, and the things that you dream of, and the things that you spend your time and energy pursuing, and to ask yourself the question, who is ultimately at the center of those things? And then the second question is how do we overcome it? How do we fight through narcissistic tendencies that if we're honest, all of us struggle with at times? And for some, summer's a really big time for that temptation. But maybe for you, summer's not this season. But it's another season of life that that tempts you into being consumed with yourself and what's in your own best interest instead of paying attention to what's in the best interest of others or on centering your life on God. Jesus, uh, in Luke chapter 14, um, is sort of in the heart of his ministry And a large group of people gather around him. He looks at the crowd in verse 25 of Luke chapter 14. This is is what it says. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We need to unself ourselves, to pull ourselves out of the center of our lives. Just as Jesus called for anyone who wants to follow one him anyone who wants to be his disciple ultimately we have to renounce ourselves as our greatest love we have to renounce ourselves as our greatest value we have to renounce ourselves as the object of our adoration we have to renounce ourselves as the object of our worship We have to unself ourselves. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now we're not reading on further in Luke chapter 14, but right after he says this, Jesus goes into a teaching on counting the cost of following him. He begins to talk about how, how would anyone ever go to build a house without first determining how much it's going to cost to know that he has enough money to finish it. No army would ever go into battle without the general first counting the cost to figure out with how many men he has can he defeat the other army. And if he can't, then he's gonna draw up terms of, of surrender or compromise. And Jesus tells his crowd, count the cost of following me because what I'm calling for you to do Is to unself yourselves, to take yourself off the throne of your own life so that we can recenter our lives on the one who we were designed to be centered upon. We have to learn to love most what is most lovely. We have to learn to glorify most what is most glorious. We have to learn to value supremely the one who is supremely valuable. And here's how I want to close today. Normally, our main uh, way of doing things is reading a passage and then we'll go through, we'll break it down and bite-sized pieces and explain it but but rather there's two passages that I want to read to you they're a little bit longer but they're both declarations of our need to pull ourselves out of sinner and instead to focus on God to focus on his greatness Not try to lie to ourselves about how great we are, but to be reminded of how great he is. And the first one is Job 26. Now it's laid out for you in the Bible app, it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read through it. How have you helped him who has no power? How have you saved the arm that has no strength? How have you counseled him who has no wisdom, and plentifully declared sound knowledge? With whose help have you uttered words, and whose breath has come out from you? The dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God. Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not spilt open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. And his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? I just want to read that last verse again. Behold these are but the outskirts of his ways. How small a whisper do we hear of him but the thunder of his power who can understand. If you know the story of Job you know that he was in a desperate dark place in his life when he says these words. Everything that he held dear had been taken from him He had nothing left. His family was gone, his health was gone, and his friends had turned on him. And instead of focusing on what he felt he deserved, for the most part, Job's Job's attitude was on the greatness of God. Here, he begins to just Explore the realities that we don't control God. We don't have the power He has. We don't have the wisdom or the insight He has. And as He goes through just this poetic expression of how big and glorious and powerful God is, that final thought, but these are just the outskirts we hear a whisper because we're not able to handle the thunder. Sometimes the reason we become self-absorbed, sometimes the reasons that we have a tendency to drift towards being consumed with what we want or what we think we deserve, Is because we allow ourselves to get big and God to get small. And here Job is just declaring how big and powerful and glorious God is. One of the things that we can do to help fight off narcissistic tendencies in our lives, the ones that all of us struggle with at times, And it may be looks, it may be money, it may be career, it may be a title, it may be possessions, it may be a life situation, something that you become obsessed over is to be reminded of how small we are, and how big and how great God is. And even what we do know of Him is like a whisper. It's just the outskirts of his glory because we couldn't handle the thunder. And there's one other scripture that I want to look at today, and it's Psalm 145. This one's just a little bit longer. I won't have a lot of commentary on it. I just want to close with these thoughts. One of the observations that our e-group made as we were studying the Psalms was how community-oriented they are. How in most of these songs and declarations, it was about the community coming together to sing out or to chant out or to cry out these prayers. That there's something that happens when we... we declare these things in a community. In Psalm 145, it begins like this. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him, and he also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all the flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. I just want to read those first three verses again as we close. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we come to declare your greatness this morning. We come to celebrate who you are. The ways in which you work among us. And ask that you be glorified by all the things that we say and do and think and sing here this morning. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for a moment we're going to enter into a time of worship. A time to do and to declare the exact things that that the community of God has done for thousands of years as we just read in Psalm 145. A psalm that was written about 3,000 years ago just to sing and celebrate God's glory and His greatness. Now the secret to today's message is that Today's message really isn't about you or me. It's actually not really about our struggles and our temptations and our narcissistic tendencies. The message is about our great God. That the secret to unselfing ourselves is to turn our gaze upon our great God and his goodness and his greatness that is unsearchable. And so the antidote is not to work on yourself more. The antidote to narcissism isn't to fight in thinking about yourself in a different way. The answer is to turn your gaze upon God, his goodness, to remember the things that he's done and to celebrate them. The challenge for you and I, this summer, this season, in all seasons of life, is to turn our gaze to the greatness of God. And that's what we do here today. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. As we come to sing and to declare your goodness, your greatness, would you be honored by all that we say, all that we sing, all that we think, all that we pray in this moment as we turn our gaze to you, as we turn our attention to you, would you be honored in this moment as we celebrate who you are? Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray this in your name.